You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, host, back with another episode. Uh, return guest today. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Mr. Building Culture, the man with all the bricks, uh, Mr. Austin Tunnel. Thanks for having me on. Uh, glad to be here again. It's been a little over a couple of years. It I think. has. Yes. Uh, if people are listening and they haven't heard Austin's story, um, go back to episode 364. And that's where we kind of dive into your origin story, how you get into the business, who you are, what you do, blah, 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 blah. All the kind of cool stuff. Um, the context stuff, I will say. But today, we're just going to recap. Um, I think when we last talked, you had just moved to Oklahoma City. Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah, I was I was living in Carl Delaney buildings. We were moving in 2020. Mm-hmm. Perfect time to move when uh, COVID's hitting and uh, of course and starting a business over. It was not a very fun couple of years. <laughs> and you had a baby on the way, or you just had a baby? Yeah, we had. Well, we had a baby in April 2020, so COVID uh-huh. baby, and then uh, we got a new one on the way in March 2024. Congratulations! So, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it'd be fun. So during that time, you, obviously, you were kind of you know got your start. You're up at Carlton Landing, doing great, you know, brickwork up there. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of moved to Oklahoma City to do some more stuff. Uh, and it was like maybe some wheeler projects some stuff. Yeah, we started sales. building a wheeler. Yeah. Talk me through all that stuff. How has that gone from, uh, I mean, yeah, just the last Gosh. two years. Boy, you know, honestly, the way I described it is 2020 through 2022 uh, have been some of the hardest years of my life. Okay. Um, so I, I, I moved to Oklahoma City um, with just my wife at the time. And I was splitting time, finishing some stuff in Carlton Landing in 2020, and then trying to get going in a new place. You know, you don't know anyone, you're, there's limited money, um, and, and building is all about relationships and vendors and clients and subcontractors and banks and appraisers and city. So you're having to learn all that at once. But then COVID hits, and then supply chains get crazy. And while it sounds good for building, because you know there's all these builders selling things for twice what they, you know, because there was just so much demand. But when you're starting over, yeah. I would call 40 cabinet shops and be, they'll be like, we're not even talking to you if you're not an existing customer and we're 40 weeks out. When I went to start my first house in Wheeler, usually like we pour the foundation, 
get our brick on site because it's a lot of brick. It's like 180 pallets of brick. So you can't just, you got to be very careful with logistics. So I call them and say, Hey, I'm ready for the brick. And they said, we just got a call from the plant. We're 12 months out. So like day one, I can't do anything. Like some people can build the house and do stuff inside and then brick it later. But we do brick first being a structural masonry house. So that was just one thing. I've had liens. I've had tens of thousands of dollars stolen from me. I've had mold issues on remodels. I've had a, Appraisals. I mean, it's just been absolutely brutal. And then I got hit by a bus um, and damaged my foot and two years of uh, four surgeries and um, later and good bit. Of, I've learned to walk again with pain and uh, kind of just started. You saw me on the cane coming in here. So I'm, I'm actually uh, just kind of moving into acceptance, you could say. <laughs> Okay. That this is kind of my new reality, at least for the time. You know, I'm still yeah. hopeful that maybe I could get it better over time. But this is where I'm at now. Gosh, so, so much to unpack. Uh, <laughs> tell me about Wheeler. How does that come about? And and obviously, like it kind of fits the same yeah. model as Carlton Landing. But Wheeler was just kind of wasn't there wasn't much brick in Wheeler at the time, even though they're great looking houses. Obviously, you've introduced that. So yeah. Tell me about that. Well, it's been such a pleasure to build there. You know. Uh, um, Blair Humphrey, um, obviously they did Carlton Landing, the Humphreys did Carlton Landing. And so they were familiar with my work and they invited me to build in Wheeler. And I absolutely jumped at the opportunity. There's no neighborhood I think I would rather be building in than that one. Um, it's, it's, you know, and a lot of people don't understand it yet because it's still being just like built out. You know what I mean? But I lived in Carlton Landing for four years so know where it's going and know the life experience of, of what neighborhoods like that can do. So it's been really fun to build in a cool context because to me, it's not just about the individual houses, but the neighborhood, the urbanism. And I call urbanism is the recipe. If urbanism is the recipe, buildings are the ingredients. You need both to have a good meal. Mm-hmm. So that's what I love about Wheeler. It's urban design focused. It's people focused. And then we also get to build great architecture there. Um, and, and what's so cool is, you know, it, it, when you sell a house and, and then people become part of a community, it's really exciting, you know, and we go there sometimes to, uh, it, it's just so cool when you start, you have a center to a neighborhood. Um, and, and then you get all these people just hanging out and there's a playground out there and there's beer and there's coffee and there's, uh, tacos and it gets crowded on a Friday night and you can walk five minutes away and it's super quiet in your residential area and you go over there and it's lively and vibrant. It just reminds me of how much I, I wish more neighborhoods had centers, you know, to them. I don't mean some, I don't want to live next to a bar, right? I'm, I'm 35. I got kids now, but like, I want to be able to walk to a coffee shop, hang out with people, um, you know, casually. Um, and it's really hard the way we build today. Mm-hmm. So I love, love building a Wheeler. Yeah. Talk to me more about that kind of urban, urbanized, urbanism, urbanization, urbanism concept, yeah. uh, because it is a lot like it, it makes me feel comfortable because that's kind of what home is like, right. right? Like there's a lot of neighborhoods that are built around kind of, it's like a center, right? And then in the center you have, you, and some of them are so big, you might have a school in there. You might have a grocery store, you know, you have a pub, maybe two pubs. Yep. Um, you know, you have like a fish and chip shop, cliche, shocker. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, you might have um, some stores in there as well, right? Or a pharmacy or whatever it is. Yeah. Like you have that center and then you have, you know, some of the ones that are bigger have like 500 homes around them. Yeah. You know, whereas like we're now slowly getting into the smaller scale ones. So where does that come from? Why does that intrigue you? And obviously like the brick side of it too. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's really a continuation of the human tradition of building. Um, and, and it's really centered around people first. And what I mean by that is this, 
the design and the decisions that are made, it's a much more complex way to design and build because everything is a little bit tighter and then the details start mattering a lot more. Privacy starts having to be designed rather than just happening automatically because you've just got a bunch of space, right? And, you, and privacy is really important. And so people, when I start talking about urbanism, sometimes people get really scared saying like, oh, I'm think every, everyone should live in apartment buildings or no one should have cars. And I'm like, I, that is not what I'm talking about at all. I really don't like apartment buildings very much. I think we need some and maybe we need those in Midtown and things like that. But like, that's not what I mean when I mean urbanism. I just mean things like, for example, in Wheeler, a diverse range of housing. And here's an example. They've got houses that sell for $300,000. And I know that some people might say, well, that's too expensive. I can't afford a $300,000 house. Why don't they have cheaper stuff? Okay, fine. It's really hard to build cheap stuff today, I should say, by the way. But, you know, they've got $300,000 houses and they've got million and a half dollar houses and everything in between. They've also got ADUs and garage apartments that you can rent out or use your home office. They've got fourplexes and live work units you can rent for $1,200. They've got an apartment building coming. And what's so cool about that is you can get such a diverse range of people within a single neighborhood. So you can get people in their 20s that are single and want to be there because it's cool and vibrant. It's easy to meet people. You can get families that have kids and want to live there because their kids can be free range kids. And this is my definition of a good neighborhood is when you can have free range kids. And what I mean by that is just kind of kids out and about. It's not at the playground. The whole neighborhood's the playground. And, you know, Wheeler's still in the construction, so that's kind of limited a little bit, but that will just expand more and more as it gets better. And then guess what? You also can have older people, so multiple generations multi-generational living. Um, and it's not that you don't have car people in Wheeler don't have cars. Of course they do, but they can do a lot more without a car. And as Wheeler gets built out more, you're going to be able to live more of your life in a smaller radius. And I've been thinking about this a lot because when I lived in Carlton Landing, I knew more people than I had ever really known at any given time in my life. I don't mean they were all best friends because you're really limited capacity for best friends, but this was my understanding kind of flipped how I thought about community. I used to always think about community was, the neighborhood dinners, the HOA thing, some big event. And I'm realizing it's not the big things. Those work and those are great additions. Yeah. Community is actually the small things. It's the small touches, the small interactions, the small, like seeing people on the walks, taking out the trash, going to get your mail, grabbing a coffee at the gym, checking out somewhere. When you're interacting with the same people over and over again, you know, maybe a couple times a week or a few times a month, um, you don't know everything about them. You don't know their politics. You don't know, blah, but but that's actually a good thing because we can't get along with everyone. Like the people I'm going to invite into my home to have dinner with, yeah, I don't want to have such limited time and two, they're probably going to be my good friends. But like, how do you have community outside of that? Well, basically we have, we have like really good friends and family and some work colleagues and nothing in between. And I think that's part of the problem. So when I say community, it's all these opportunities for small touches. Cause when I live, you live in a neighborhood like mine, which is a great neighborhood. I love it. It's, it's, I mean, in some ways I love it. I should say Linwood, great old neighborhood, 7,000 square foot lots, you know, 2,000 square foot houses a lot. But, and I know the neighbors directly around me and we get along really well because I'll take out the trash and I'll see them, right? But, and then there's a park we can walk to that's a ways away, but like I never see anyone. And so when there's the two HOA events a year, I go and it's like a little awkward because you don't remember the last time you're like, I recognize you, but I don't even remember your name. I don't remember what you do. And, And it just, yeah, and so that's what I like about Wheeler. It's an invitation all the time. You don't have to. That's what the porches are for. You can wave at people if you want, or you can not if you don't want. Um, it's not about being all up in each other's business. Like people think that. It's like my wife is an introvert. I'm an extrovert, and we both love living in Carlton Landing because of that. So yeah. no, you're right, and it's just like that whole kind of 
you know, the walkability side of things, right? If you want to go and walk to the pub and see the same person who just goes for a beer every night or you, you know, you're, you're someone's riding around on their bike or going for a run or whatever it is, right? You, you, it's just that repetitive kind of, you know, um, routine of seeing people doing, you know, and everyone's kind of, everyone has their own routine too, right? You probably have some people who get up and walk their dog. At the, I walk yep. their dog at the same time every single morning for the most part. And so like, if people see me in the morning, they'll know, oh, that's the guy with the two golden doodles, right? Like, and, but at, at Wheeler, it's like, you see that guy and you might see him at the pub or the coffee shop. Like you're going to keep seeing him because everything yes. you do is there. And I love that. It's just so important. such a cool it, neighborhood. It, to me, it takes the, beyond just an economic transaction. I'm going into Clarity Coffee and Wheeler to get a coffee. That's great. I want coffee. I'm going there to consume coffee. There's nothing wrong with consumption. Right. We all have to consume stuff. But then I walk in and it's a smile and people are, you know, saying, oh, hey, how's it going? And, you know, we chat for a second and I get my coffee and I sit down and then someone walks in that I know and we chat for a second. It's such a richer experience. Same with the Big Friendly. Same with Taco Nation. I don't even know the people's names that I check out with the Taco Nation, but like I know we recognize each other. And so there's like a smile and there's a recognition and that's so much different than driving through a scooter's drive through mm-hmm. And I'm not saying no one should ever do that. Like, right, I get drive through sometimes. Yeah. But, but just to understand that, like, the way that we build really does shape how we live and interact with each other. And the way that we build pushes everything towards a purely consumption economic transaction where it's not about you and me. It's not about a relationship. It's how does... How does Scooter's Coffee funnel as many cars through as fast as humanly possible... Mm-hmm. And, and that's the value. That's it, you know? And, and yeah. there's a place for that. There is. But yeah. I think we've lost some stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, so. and, and these things, like, obviously, um, you know, it's popping up more. Like, you obviously have more projects. And uh, Matthew Myers, who you who you know as well, is doing, you know, the lock in it. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, you guys are working on a project. Yeah. The same, too, which I've seen because you show me it looks fantastic. And yeah. would love for you to talk about kind of what's coming to Edmund as well. <sighs> Man, downtown Edmond is so exciting. Um, I, I really think there's a renaissance happening there. Um, and when we were putting our pitch deck together for our project, which I'll tell a little bit more about the project, but I was putting together a page of all the things you can walk to within 10 minutes. And our property is between 3rd and 4th Street and Littler. So it's right behind the Sprouts there for anyone that knows or Stevenson Park. Um, and within a 10 minute walk, Today, there are over 35 restaurants and bars and coffee shops to walk to within 10 minutes, plus grocery stores, plus services, plus daily life needs. And people just don't think about that. And I mean, there's, there's Edmund, downtown Edmund needs to mature for sure. They need to narrow Broadway because right now it's still a through lane. They've done a good job by doing lights and slowing things down. I mean, I think the city planning there Mm -hmm. is doing an amazing job. And and so like Randy Enns is just so awesome. I love Randy Enns and the inspiration of what they're trying to do. I mean, there's, there's, you know, the Oxley is about to open with 270 apartment units. There's multiple others. Matthew Myers and I have counted it up before. And we think there's somewhere around a billion dollars going in over the next decade in, in downtown Edmond, not all of Edmond. And this was a statistic that they shared recently, but in 20 last year, I think 2022, or maybe it was this year. I forget. It was either last year or this year. All of Edmond, and I forget how many square miles all of Edmond is. It's a lot. There was like $150 million being invested in all of Edmond of last year. And then it was like 120 in just the one square mile of downtown Edmond. So like the price per, I mean, it is like the amount of dollars going in per square foot is, was like 
hundred times more, you know, in downtime. And so I think it's really exciting. So what about this project then? What exactly are you working on and, and are you allowed to share? I like, am, like, yeah, okay. and I'm so stoked. And we're yeah. not really putting a ton out yet because um, we're still working through the site plan with the city and things like that. But so, okay, what is it? I told you where it is. It's behind the Sprouts, by the Caddy Corner to Stevenson Park. Um, so it's on the south side of 2nd Street. Um, and we've got a little over an acre and we're putting <clears throat> around 20 townhouses um, and some small mixed use and boutique office and stuff. And then also kind of a larger commercial building where we're hoping to get a good restaurant and maybe some co-working. And what's so cool about it is we call this, we call it, it's a big enough space that we're doing something that we call inner block development. We're not just kind of like doing a bunch of townhouses that line second and third in the main streets. Sure. No, it's actually, we're building things facing inwards too. Yes, we're addressing the streets, but actually the magic of this, this project, the Townsend, is when you enter in. When I mean by that, when you get inside the block and it's really this patchwork of courtyards. So all our buildings are creating their own spaces mm -hmm. and it's almost to where you can get just a little bit lost in there. Like when you get, you're like, wait, what's right through there? Um, where it's, it's inviting you to be and to hang out and it feels both that like private but also like open to this kind of like semi-openness where you can choose how much you want to interact um, and, and what we're going for is gosh okay so this is crazy you might know this but can you guess how many um, households in Edmond are one to two person households so what percent of households in Edmond are one to two person households would you guess well I guess I'm gonna just 50%. Okay, and that's actually a lot higher than most people guess, but it's 62%. And then one to three person households is 77%. Yeah. So what's insane is that, and this is actually, that's, that's actually, that I'm giving you Edmund exactly, yeah. but that's actually the same trend across the whole country. It might be off by a couple percent. Sure. But the point is household sizes are getting drastically smaller, whether that's because of people are getting married later or they're not getting married at all or they're not having kids or divorced or retirees, the boomer generation, whatever it is. You know, the household sizes are getting smaller, but our housing stock hasn't changed. Mm. We're basically building like, you know, you really don't see much being built that's less than three bed, two and a half bath. You know, sometimes you do, but like you get three, three bed, two and a half bed, Beth or larger single family detached houses and then we're low on housing so then we also slam a bunch of like multi-hundred unit apartment buildings into and that's like two extremes like the two most extremes and almost nothing in between so we're really trying to start capturing that in between and and my parents moved here a couple of years ago because um, I moved here and my sister moved here and then they were like oh screw it we'll move here too and they were looking for like a, a nice house um, not like a, a super nice house but a smaller they wanted to downsize but get a nice house but they actually couldn't find anything the size they wanted that was the quality they wanted. So they actually ended up getting something bigger than they wanted just to get that quality. And I think that's a real shame. And so one of the things we talk about at building culture is building smaller, but better. Mm -hmm. um, building more quality, but better. Or, sorry, yeah, yeah, more more quality, you know, less features, but quality. More, you know, and really focusing on the details. And so that's what we're saying is maybe we don't need a 3,000 square foot house or 4,000 square foot house. If you're retiring, your kids are out of the house, granted, if you could have it all, if you could have a four car garage and a 4,000 square foot house and be able to walk to things and have all these neighbors around and have community and not have any yard work. Okay, great. But you can't have everything. Yeah. Everything has pros and cons. So if your most important thing is to have a four car garage, fine. This neighborhood is not for you and that's okay. But we're also planning for cars. Like, you know, people have parking spots and cover parking spots and things, but you gain so much, you know, you gain so much. And so we call it like luxury in a smaller botch. How do you make luxury more attainable? Bring the size down. And so we've designed the houses really thinking about that. How does you make it live as large 
course you can. Mm -hmm. And then it's just two bedrooms, you know, because if you're a two person household, why do you need more than two bedrooms? Um, and then you've got all these things you can get to and all the walk to and you don't have yard maintenance and you've got, yeah, just really cool. You'd have your office over in one of the live work units over there, or you could buy a live work unit and have an office. Um, you just open some new opportunities for people. Yeah. Well, and we just we just consume, don't we? Right. <laughs> like we just and we always think that we need more space than we actually need. Yeah. Right. Like if you kind of really just dive into it, of you know, like how much house do you actually, how much of your house do you actually use? Nobody uses the dining area. Right, you know, like it's a giant. Or maybe waste twice of space. a year, you know, yeah, Thanksgiving, yeah, Christmas. Exactly, it's yeah. twice a year they use it. Otherwise, it just like it takes up space. Right. Um, most people don't even put their cars in their garages because it's just full of other stuff that they've just accumulated. Yep. Yeah, no right? people. People when they say like, oh, we we have to have a garage because yeah. our cars. I'm like, half of people don't park their cars, their cars in the garage. I see them in the driveway, and, and it's uh, yeah, yeah. storage. And I think the other thing too is like, I mean, I have obviously two dogs, and the one thing I don't like or never liked about it. Thankfully, we didn't have dogs when I lived in an apartment, but it's just like. I can't imagine living in a apartment now that's not on the ground floor with dogs. Cause yeah. it's like, so you have that too. So you're like, okay, if we can live in a house that's big enough for the dogs that has enough that maybe yes. has one guest bedroom, cause my parents are going to visit once a year right. Right? or buddy's going to stay, you know, we don't need like, you really so don't. don't like, right? yeah, you're so right. Like so many people will make a decision based on something they do once or twice a year. Cause I hear that one a lot too. Yeah. But what about when the kids stay? Well, how often do the kids come? Well, they come Thanksgiving. Okay. Yeah. Is that a loss of an experience to not have them in your house? Right. Maybe, and maybe it is, but, but like, are you going to say like, I'm going to do this and live 364 days out of the year in this so I can have one day, you know, it's like, it doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense. And you made a good point in the apartments. I say this when, when we only build big apartment complexes and single family house detached, it's really hard for people that, that do have, you know, maybe or later in life, they've made some money or something and they want something nice. They want to live closer in, but they don't want to live in like, they don't want to, you can't get the single family detached that close. Yeah. You don't want to live in an apartment building. The only other option is occasional, like big, like building condos. Mm -hmm. And like that can be for certain people. Right. But I mean, this is like houses, you know, where I feel like I'm in a house and it feels like a little neighborhood that's part of a larger neighborhood that is downtown Edmond. Yeah. And I think that is is really unique. It'll be the most convenient neighborhood, one of the most convenient neighborhoods in Oklahoma. Well, and the other, the other thing, yeah, the other thing too is that like, nobody walks out here. You've <laughs> got to train people to walk, yeah. right? Like people moving to Wheeler, like, you know, they probably like, oh, we're so, some people might not even want to live in Wheeler because they think, oh, we've got to drive to downtown and we got to go there, go there. No, everything you have is there. You just have to walk there. Or you don't have to, but like, it's probably more easier. It is there. easier. And people you like, know? that's the thing. It's like, when you make the environment right, you don't have to force people to do it. It's like, yeah. you just make it easier to be, right. because it's not just about having sidewalks. We put sidewalks everywhere off of freaking, you know, half highways, it seems like. And there's a sidewalk that you never see anyone on because it's ridiculous. Money. It has to be a place to walk to and it needs to be beautiful as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and otherwise, what's the point? You know, maybe if like you're trying to get exercise and you're really motivated, you're going to walk. Okay, fine. Right. But what about just like going on a walk to enjoy the walk, to, to catch up with your spouse, to, yeah. to go grab a coffee, to go grab a, a glass of wine on a Thursday evening, whatever it is. Go, go walk to the grocery store to pick up two ingredients and come back. Walk to the grocery store to, or to the park with your dog or your kid. Yeah. I mean, it really changes your life. And I, gosh, I added this up just the other day. And I'm totally going to get the math wrong, but it's very normal for people to have 45, 50 minute commutes. Mm -hmm. Maybe not in Oklahoma city quite yet, but like I'm from Houston and that was totally normal. Yeah. My dad, I think I'm growing up, it was 45 minutes on the way to work and oftentimes an hour and a half on the way home. Yeah. 
If you think about that over a year's time, just five days a week, uh, say 48 weeks out of the year, I forgot how many hours it is. Well, I guess you could do that math pretty easily. Anyway, it is an insane amount of hours. And as I get older, I've got kids and one more on the way, I'm realizing just how limited time is where like I work till six and then it's like, I need to work out still, need to eat dinner, need to clean up the kitchen. I want to hang out with my kid a little bit, put them to bed. And I want to have like a few minutes to read a book or journal or something. And it's like, I barely have time as it is. And I work from home. Yeah. So if I, and I mean, I do have to go around yeah, throughout the day, but like if I had to go an hour and a half every day, I would lose all of that time. Yeah. Yeah. It's that you're right. And it's so many, so many, uh, it's such a value to be that close to home, right. And do your work at home and be around your young kids. And obviously as they get older, you know, you, you probably will have more time away, but yeah. still you want to be there, especially as a new dad and a new baby on the way. Right. And I'm sure your wife appreciates it yeah, too. She does. <laughs> uh, talk to me about the custom side of things. What are you seeing? What are the trends right now on the custom side? As far as, you know, building, I assume people are building kind of big open kitchen type, because that's kind of where people spend a lot more time, but maybe something else, but yeah. Oh, we'll that's see. a good, yeah, this is a good one. So, you know, we've got a couple customs we're doing right now, and, and honestly, we're angling. I, I would like to, to to figure out how to kind of break into the Nichols Hills mm-hmm. or Gallardia market, but I, you know, we're pretty new here, so I don't really, I don't know anyone even. So it's kind of hard to break into those markets when you don't know anyone, even That's though we built a really cool, <laughs> we built some really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, where where I'm kind of thinking customs are going, and the feedback I'm seeing. And obviously just, you know, kind of my design sense and where we're going is, you know, I I think things are moving away from farmhouse. I think things are moving away from the all white on white on white. I think things are moving away from gray. Um, I don't think, um, you know, we, we almost never do carpets, you know, for example, I don't know if that still happens. Well, I mean, it happens a lot. I'm surprised how much I see it because I'm, it's not like I'm against carpet. I'm like, Hey, do wood floors and get a rug or something like that. Um, and so I'm seeing a lot more warmth. So when we, well, we're actually doing a lot of stained wood and we're getting a lot of compliments about it too because we're not doing it where it feels like your grandma's house. We're doing it where it's like, it feels warm, historic, welcoming, cozy, earthy, mm-hmm. but still bright and, and there's modern elements. So it's more like transitional, you would say. Uh, we're not super hard and like, oh, copying a style. It's just what, what looks good, what feels right. And we are, you know, that's what we're doing. We've got a lot more dark things. I mean, even like, maximalism is coming in over minimalism. You know, I'm seeing like trends on Instagram and stuff on that. And by the way, I kind of like it. It's, it's yeah. fun when you get richer things, more ornamentation, um, thoughtful, thoughtful details. And we're getting a lot of compliments on those things too, where they'll say, wow, like, I really like that. You know, just like we've seen a lot of houses and they, they lack that kind of detail. Um, and, and that's the stain trim is the one that I'm surprised just ha- people have really latched onto that. Mm-hmm. And we like red oak a lot when we were doing it. I'm trying to find, there's a guy. Okay. So the guy, everyone needs to follow on Instagram. I had him on the podcast last year. His Instagram handles, not a minimalist. Do you know uh, him? Wait, I might Daniel? follow him. Is he, is he like, does he post I'm like cool maximalist things? Inside? Oh yeah. That's his okay. house. His Instagram is fantastic. I bet you, I, I think. And like we did the podcast at his house and there is stuff everywhere, but it looks really good. Yeah. You know, and like, and he has one picture wall, which there's literally a wall in his house that's covered in pictures, right? Like in frames and stuff. And you know, it's not like, it's not like, obviously it's kind of like, it looks good, but it wasn't like, he's just put pictures up and just fit them to get, it's like a giant game of Tetris, Right. right? But his Instagram is fantastic. And if anyone wants to get into the maximalism side, like <laughs> he is the guy in Oklahoma City to follow. Yeah. Uh, but we, we did the podcast just as he was moving into his new house. So it was like, Oh, that's super cool. Some of the rooms were full and the others were just like, 
what are you going to put here? And he goes, I don't know. Yeah, we'll yeah, figure it out. I'll figure it out. So good. Uh, but yeah, the, the custom side of things obviously, you know, keeps you on your toes. It's exciting. Um, yeah. It is. Yeah. We're, I mean, I really want to like, I went to Spain a few months ago yeah. um, to learn some more masonry details because there's not, you can't learn much here. Mm-hmm. Um, and for anyone listening, I, I, I trained as a mason originally back in 2015 and 16. And um, I wouldn't say I'm a master mason because I don't lay brick every day or anything, but I understand it very well. I do lay brick sometimes and I'm, mm-hmm. I would call myself an, a masonry innovator, you could say, because I understand the medium and then I can put design and engineering pieces together to create something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went to Spain to, to learn these groin vaults, which is um, what do you call a groin vault? Like what? It's almost like if you imagine a, a, a box of, like just a box and then uh-huh. imagine putting an arch in each box gotcha. but then the ceiling becomes that so you've got these gro- as the arches intersect and it's all in compression very cool and I really want to build like an underground groin vault wine cellar or something yeah. like that or for a restaurant it'd be amazing yeah there'd be nothing like in Oklahoma but I've just gotta <laughs> dude let's talk about <laughs> Spain because it it's beautiful um how was that trip obviously you know you just kind of gave a little bit into it but expand on that like what was the reason going over obviously just learning one bit like and obviously continuing education is big for you as well and staying as an innovator because we don't really, there's not many people here that do it uh, and you're kind of, you know, one of very few in your space but you've obviously got to maintain your quality and your skill work. So tell me about Spain. What I mean, when did you go? Uh, what was it like? Just, yeah. did you go solo? Like, how was that? Yeah, no, that's good. So I think it was in, um, I think it was August that I went um, and, and it's funny because I, in 2011, I graduated from college and I was about to start my KPMG CPA job like three months later and I just made some money because I had apprenticed for them. So I had a little bit of money saved up and I had a job lined up. So I was like, I'm going to go backpacking for three months. And I went solo and I went to just to Spain and Portugal because I didn't want to like go everywhere. I wanted to go to one place and kind of like get to know it more. And that was, I mean, I had been traveling a little bit before that, but that was three months just me in Spain. And, you know, once again, I was saying I was accounting, architecture was not on my mind. Urbanism was not on my mind. But Spain, you could say like awoke something in me where I'm walking around. I don't know the words for things. I'm just like experiencing, you know, where you live for the first time in my life because I grew up in the suburbs of Houston in a cul-de-sac, at the end of a cul-de-sac. And I'm going, this is incredible. But I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know what it was that I loved so much. So anyway, I get back, do accounting. I ended up kind of quitting accounting, figuring all this stuff out. Anyway, long story short, I I won't repeat it, but it was funny because I'm back in Spain and it reminded me, I was like, oh my gosh, it all started in Spain for me. I didn't even, it did, I didn't connect the dots, but that was like really what set me on this path in 2011. So I'm there again um, because these, these uh, guys are putting on a structural masonry course. It's their fifth year because, well, guess what? There's lots of structural masonry in, in, in Spain and all of Europe. Structural masonry just being... The walls are really thick of brick or stone. That's the simple way of saying it. There's no stick framing or two by fours or plywood. They don't even know what that is. They, they look at the stuff we build and they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's I'm not going to be here in 10 years. Yeah. Um, and I will say stick framing is actually fairly sophisticated. I'm impressed by a lot of things about stick framing. I'm not like uh, just throwing that in the bus or something. Although I do think masonry has a lot of benefits. Uh, it has far fewer vulnerabilities, but they've got a lot of... Uh, masonry over there that's 500 years old, 1,000 years old, 2,000 years old. So you've got people studying this stuff that have been studying it their whole lives. And actually, even in Europe, you don't have many people uh, doing it new today. Um, 
but you've got these old cathedrals, they'll get a crack in them and oh my gosh, what's going to happen? So they call these guys in, okay, is it going to fall down? Is it, do we need to do something? Do we need to demo it? And 98% of the time it's like, no, we're good. We don't need to do anything because all masonry cracks. Yeah. But I'm there to learn. We're in Segovia, um, which is this little town. And I remember going there in 2011, they've got this aqueduct. I forget what exact year it was built, somewhere in the first century, AD, first century. It's almost 2,000 years old, and it was in use till the 1970s. It was bringing in water to Segovia until the 1970s, and it's still standing. I forgot why they stopped using it. I think it was just the amount of water or something like that. We can't fathom building something for 2,000 years. Like, we really can't. Um, and, and I think that is just so dang inspiring. But anyway, we're, we're, <laughs> I'm kind of going in circles here, but I was really there for two weeks. It wasn't like a fun trip in terms of I'm going to go right. traveling and seeing things and doing all the great stuff. It was, I was in a classroom, we were going to things, we were doing math equations. And I mean, it's just all these professors coming in throughout the week. There was people from MIT, Oxford, Princeton. I got to meet a guy, John Oxendorf, who is one of my kind of heroes at MIT. He's doing some amazing stuff with masonry that we plan to continue. Um, so it was a really inspiring trip. I came back with a million ideas and can't wait to start implementing them. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm glad that you got to go and I'm glad you've been before, right? Because it's hard to explain to people who haven't been something that's 2,000, 1,000, <laughs> 500 years old. Because, you know, like the architecture all across Europe is incredible. Oh, it's... Right? The stone, the brick, like, you know, even like even in Wales, like there's just stone, there's, there's stone walls everywhere that separate farmers' land in Wales, right? And, or just hedgerows or whatever it is. But these stone walls are like, they're, they're dry stone, right? Yep. So they're not like, they're literally just stacking yep. stones, right? And if anybody's watched Clarkson's Farm on Amazon, which I highly recommend because it's hilarious, there's a guy on there and he's called a dry stone waller. And like, that's all he does is just build walls yeah. out of just stone. And it's just, it's the most fascinating thing in the world. But, you know, you talk about architecture across Spain and the cathedrals and, and even just like the, the buildings of businesses or town halls or whatever it is. Like, I mean... I hate that we don't have that here. We are, it's crazy because we are the wealthiest, most technologically advanced city or country Mm -hmm. in the history of the world, at least that we know of, or at least that I know of. And we, we somehow think we're at the pinnacle of all human achievement. And it's like, in some ways, no, not in some ways, the world is absolutely incredible. The modern world is a miracle. We can lock, rock, you know, launch rockets into space. We're on the verge of AI. We can build skyscrapers. We can walk out of hip replacement surgeries, which is really, I mean, just unbelievable. We can turn on the water, stock our fridge with, you know, groceries for a week. I mean, it is truly incredible. Also, we're incredibly dumb about some things. Like we are so dumb about some stuff. I was just, you're talking about stone walls. This is one that drives me crazy. There's some 10 foot high garden wall, is brick garden wall. Um, that I was driving by. I think it was probably built by the city. Um, and I was driving by, this is probably a few months ago, and I kind of slammed on the brakes because I saw this cracking in it. Um, and I knew exactly what it was when I saw it. And so I filmed it because there's, when you put masonry as a porous material, it carries water, metal rusts. So guess what? If you put metal in a masonry building, it's going to rust. And a lot of people think it disintegrates. It actually expands. It can expand up to four to seven times the original size, so it'll destroy the masonry. So imagining this masonry wall with this kind of like the brick is busting out and you can see the metal behind it and it's just going to degrade. It's probably not even 10 years old. I don't know. I guess it could be older. It could be less a little bit, but it's not that old. I'll put it that way. I posted it. I had some engineers arguing with me about how they... 
it's required to, and of course they did concrete block and then a brick veneer with all these ties and all this metal. And we think we're so smart and we can't build a freaking garden wall that lasts more than 10 years. And I can point you to hundreds of thousands of walls that have been around for way, 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 way longer put together by some dude stacking rocks and there's no steel in it. And I'm sorry, but I have eyes. I know I'm not an engineer and I'm getting kind of tired of this in society. Like where if you're not the expert, you can't comment on it. Right. And I'm like, well, I've got a brain. And if you can't explain it to me in a way that I understand, then I'm not going to accept it anymore. Like I'm kind of done. <laughs> you know, if you can't explain to me, what I'm going to say. So anyway, when I'm looking at walls being destroyed, I'm not going to listen to you over yeah. seeing the wall that I've seen over and over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. stand the test of time. I saw that video on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's probably still there. It's it great. Uh, yeah. It's, was it on your personal Instagram or building cultures? Uh, building Instagram? cultures. I'm just okay. now splitting off. I'm, someone made the suggestion. I was like, oh, thank God. I didn't know what yeah. to do. Because uh, building culture used to just be me when I started. Like yeah. it really it was just me doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you had a kid and a family. And well, yeah, no, got post people stuff. were helping me. Like I've got, you know, employees. I've got uh, another, an architect that came on board, Matt. Yeah. We've got Graham and my wife's helping. And so we're a team now. And so yeah. I don't like using the word I because it's we, but I was like trying to communicate things that were in here. So now it's split off where it's like awesome to know. And I get to say like, I think this, mm-hmm. and it's not like quite attached to building culture in the same way, yeah. um, which is helpful for me. Yeah. Uh, talk about the team. And also you've kind of dove, dove into the social media side too. You're producing a lot more content, yeah. now, which I love. I love that. Um, more content is always great, but yeah, tell me about you expanding the team and then obviously dive into why it is you feel the need to share content. And uh, is Eric still doing your content for you? Yeah. Do you know him? Yeah, yeah I know Eric. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, small world. Yeah, that is. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, I was just great. with him today, actually. Yeah. Um, so uh, the team, it's really exciting. Um, last year, last summer, 2022, Matt Hayes, um, who's a former Notre Dame graduate, which I say just because Notre Dame is my favorite architecture college in the country by far. Um, and he had some great experience at GP Schaefer in, in Manhattan, in New York, working at a pretty high end firm, like learning some, I mean, when I say high end, it's not, I don't care that it's high end. I care this quality, if that makes sense. And with, yeah. with extreme rigor and thought. And so he moved down here and has been a complete game changer. Cause now it's not just me designing and pulling out stuff. It's him and me. And so we're both designing. We're both, he's project managing. We've got Graham, uh, that came on board six months ago, who's a construction staff and helping my wife's helping with some doing the posting and management of social media. We've got a bookkeeper. Um, and we're looking probably to be expanding. I could see us hiring anywhere from two to like six people over the next couple of years, mm-hmm. probably, probably three to four people over the next two years. In what areas? Probably superintendents. We, we, we need another P project manager. And when I say project manager, the way we're going to do it, cause we run a design build company, you know, like, and a lot of design, there's a lot of design build companies because I, I mean, I think it's a great thing that there's more design builds out there, but a lot of times it's still like, okay, there's the design department over here and the architects and then the construction department over here. And they just happen to be in some meetings together, which does help. Yeah. But what we're saying is the designer is the project manager. So I do not have my license to call myself an architect, but people get confused by that because they're like, oh my gosh, but it's like calling yourself an accountant without being a CPA. But the way the wording is, they don't let you do it with architecture. So I can't call myself an architect. I wish I could say I'm un- like, I'm an architect that's not licensed, mm-hmm. but I can't say that. But anyway, um, so I designed and then I was managing building. Now I'm kind of stepping back a little bit because I'm working on growing the, comp- the business, but like Matt's stepping into that role of I'm the designer, I'm architect, and I'm a project manager. You know, so I know construction, I'm out on the job side, I'm working out things. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want our project managers, our architects. So we're going to recruit architects that are really interested in construction that want to be on the job side, might want to have more say. Um, so we're growing that team. That's really exciting. We're going to get some superintendents too, things like that. Um, 
And then on the, what was the, the next thing you asked about? Social media side. Oh yeah. So that, that one's been really fun. We started six months ago and I've always thought, I mean, part of my mission has always been, I want to contribute to building a better human habitat mm-hmm. is, is probably a simple way to say it. And so there's a lot of things I care about within that. There's, there's masonry and there's brick and there's urbanism and things you got to put all of these. It's, it's a very... I would consider it a failure if at the end of the day, we just built some houses over my lifetime or over the lifetime of building culture. Um, and, and really what we're doing is we're trying to create a compelling alternative and also explore and pioneer because it's not like I'm saying, I think I know exactly how we should build everything. I don't. And I certainly don't know what you should be doing in your town or neighborhood, wherever you are, right? Like I've got ideas and I think there's a lot of principles that we can learn from and draw from. But what's so cool about, you know, I'm 35 growing up the time that I did, you know, when I'm in my twenties traveling Spain, mm-hmm. I had a smartphone. I didn't get a smartphone until after college, I will say, but I mean, I got a smartphone. I'm in Spain. I, they didn't have like Google maps. You could just use like you do now. It's, I was just in Spain. I was blown away. Cause I'm just like calling for $10 a day. I'm calling, texting Google maps, people in the U S it's like, I was like, right. this is so easy now. Um, but like, you know, even back then in Spain, you know, everything's kind of worked out. You can look at everything online. You can do all that. I mean, when I was in the Peace Corps, you know, you could be in the middle of a village with people that had never seen white people before with, you know, little mud huts, right? Like, I mean, carrying water and, 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 and I forgot what they call them, jerry cans. And um, you could be like, I'm going to snap a picture, post to Instagram, and the whole world sees it. Like, that is wild. And I can't help but like yeah. feeling, because I have a very adventurous spirit, like, ah, I, I wish I, I remember reading about it, like, just that there was more left to discover, more to explore. Mm-hmm. It seems like the world's figured out, right? The world just operates as it is, mm-hmm. and we just kind of fill it. Young people just come in and like, okay, here's the world, let me go get a job. I've completely changed my mind yeah. on this over the past five years. I think there is so much pioneering left, mm-hmm. so much we don't know, so much to explore, so many mysteries to be so many problems to be solved. We need the new generation to come in with vigor, to not just like fall in line and go get jobs and be good little corporate people. We need pioneers. Yeah. We need people solving problems, yeah. taking risks, doing hard things. And we, we just, we, we, we don't find it important to do hard things anymore as a country, as a culture. And I felt like that real shame because I think meaning comes from pursuing hard things actually. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, totally agree. And yeah, it doesn't have, well, no, I'm starting with content. Yeah, but. but it doesn't like, but to, we'll get to the content in a second. But the hard things, like, there's so much to learn in. I, I saw a video the other day, um, and it was by Jesse Itzler, who's a fantastic speaker. He's the lady who's married to Sarah Blakely, who started Spanx. But he, like, he's a massive entrepreneur as well. And every year, he's like, every year I set myself, like, one crazy goal that like, I know I'm probably not going to achieve, yeah. right? Like go run a hundred miles, right? Or whatever yeah. it is. And it's un- he's an ultra marathon runner. So some of it's around fitness, but he's like, go set one crazy goal that you know that you probably won't reach, but you're going to try your best to get there. Right. And by doing hard things, like, you know, I mean, there's so many things that people think are very hard right now that really aren't that hard, right? right. It's just turning your brain off and just going and doing it. You right. Know? And like, putting one foot in front of the other, um, you know, like, can you walk a hundred yards? Right. Like, sure. Can you, can you walk 200 yards and just keep going? Right. right. Like, um, but yeah, it's a great video. And just like the back to what you said, like we don't do hard things anymore. Yeah. Like, and that is kind of forcing us into kind of like a culture of 
oh, we'll just like move to something else because it's hard, yeah. right? Like no one really wants to go through adversity anymore yeah. in any really form, no, no matter what it is. It have to be like fitness. It could be within your job. It could be in the relationship. You know, most people think about it as fitness, but, you know, it's no one wants to do that. And I, I like, I've kind of focused on that too. It's like every year, I start my year training for um, an ultramarathon, oh, right? And it's yeah. and I've done it every year. I've done it for the last wow. uh, every year for the last three years. Um, and I, I set myself a goal of like a time that I know I'm never yeah. going to reach, but like that's my goal. You know, I guess one day I'll get there. I'll get as close to as right. I can. But you know, it's 31 miles up in Stillwater. It's like in the middle and we've had yeah. terrible weather and like one year it snowed and it was miserable um, <laughs> oh that, 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 that would be brutal um, but yeah like it's just something hard and I know that if I can get through that like making a sales call or yeah. like you know going to the gym or getting up at 5am to walk the dogs it's not that hard right. if you've ran 31 miles and, and also you probably know this too is like the places that like business as an entrepreneur pushes you to earlier in the podcast you mentioned just this last few years has been really tough on you if you can get through that Right. And at the time you think it's going to be over, like, you know, I'm owed money or whatever it is. And like the business is done and I'm going to be, have to go back to the corporate world. And at times it looks really dark, but like you, you get out of it, you get yeah. through it. And then you can always, you just build up that. Just kind of library. Yeah. hundred percent. <laughs> that too. I mean, you just build this library of just like, okay, I got, I, you know, I overcame that. I overcame that. I overcame that. I can do hard stuff. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, and hard stuff gets harder. Andrew harder. Huberman, do you know? Yes, okay. love Andrew Huberman. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm that was one of the listening to to him some, and in particularly his ep- episode on dopamine. This makes mm-hmm. me sound really smart, but I'm not. I just listen to podcasts, yeah. you know. <laughs> but like literally understanding the dopamine cycle and like what it is and how it just really like how I feel is based on chemicals going on in my body. And by the way, I can affect those by doing things, and whether it's physical things or mental things, and mm-hmm. And he talks about how dopamine is kind of like the feel good hormone and also the motivating thing. So if you decide like, I want to suddenly you, you think of a cheeseburger and you're hungry, like your dopamine will actually spike because you want the thing, mm-hmm. but then it'll drop below baseline because that's the motivation to get the thing. Mm-hmm. So you've got to get the car and drive and blah, blah, blah and go there. Yeah. Well, the faster the dopamine spike, the faster the drive. And here's a, a, a rule that no one can get around. Doesn't matter how many drugs, whatever it is. Like there is no rule way around this. It's just human, whatever, physical law. Mm-hmm. The faster your dopamine spikes, the faster and the farther it's going to plummet below baseline. And that's why I, it's helpful to understand this is why drugs are so dangerous and so addictive. Because, and he was even comparing things like, what is your dopamine spike from a cup of coffee? And I, I'm going to get these wrong because it's been a while, but say it's like, 10 something. I can't remember what it was, but it was like yeah. a 10 or something like that. And then like, he even says like sex and things like that. Methamphetamine was like 10,000 mm-hmm. times or something. And I'm just going, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and then he also talks about how you can get your baseline higher by literally doing harder things. Yeah. Like the way to get out of, out of a trough is to think of the hardest thing you could possibly do and then do it, whether it's a workout or getting an ice bath or, or some task you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like don't, putter and sweep around, you know, and clean up, make your bed if that's not what you need to be doing, because that's not going to get you out of it. Um, and so that's really helps me think about when something feels hard, I don't mean I do it all the time. It's a daily thing you have to try, right? But it's like, whatever that hard thing is that I don't want to do, maybe that's the thing I should be doing. And that actually in the end leads to more joy and contentment um, and happiness in life, which is weird. The pursuit of happiness doesn't make you happy. Because yeah. we talk about not wanting to do hard things and we are more miserable than ever as Americans. Depression, anxiety, loneliness, suicide. Mm-hmm. It's all like drug overdoses. It's all way up. Yeah. And 
technically we're wealthier and whatever work less than any time in history. So why are we so miserable? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're so right. And, um, I don't have an ice bath or a plot you know, yet. <laughs> I don't but, yet either, um, but I'm waiting. I'm, yeah. I'm itching to get I one. do see people doing it. And I'm just like, I, I take cold showers, but like in the yeah. summertime, it's like 65 yeah. degrees. So it doesn't well, work in the wintertime. Works. And I can, so to that point, I will like turn the shower down cold. Every time I jump in the shower, I'll t mostly in the morning, not in the night. But if I take like a morning shower, I'll, jump in the shower and I will finish it with like oh, nice. kind of a cold hit. Nice. Um, it's awful, but I like, can't, I do like the, th I just do 30 breaths and I right. just wear my way of counting through right. it. Uh, but yeah, it's not fun at all. No, um, <laughs> one of the things that came to mind and, and this is one of my favorite quotes and a quote that I kind of just have in the house and it's always kind of on top of my mind. And it goes back to what you're saying about kind of why you do the social media stuff because you feel like you have more to give and you want to be a pioneer and this quote's by a guy named Jack London. And the quote is, the proper function of man is to live, not to exist. Mm. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. And it's such a great quote. And if you love James Bond, it's the quote M to M says that quote in James Bond right at the end when they toast to James after he dies. And so I'm That's just cool. like, when I think of that, right, you think of like using your time, um, you know, the, the proper function of man is to live, not to exist. And go back to what you said about being a pioneer and, you know, just teaching people through you, through what your knowledge is and just putting out there your social media, it serves two purposes, right? It serves you a purpose because you're kind of putting out content and it keeps building culture and yourself kind of top of mind to whoever's following you. But it is also an educational part of it. Yeah, too, right? absolutely. And that's the two great things that you hit on. Right. It, 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 like one, it forces me to make my thoughts coherent, which mm -hmm. then helps me think. Mm -hmm. And then two, the purpose is to share, to get help other people do it. But then the third thing, which I, I'm really excited about, which will take time. Well, it's already started, but it'll take, this is a lifelong thing for me. This is not like, I don't have, I mean, I do have one and two year or three year goals, but like I have a 50 year plan, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. and I probably won't, I, actually, I won't accomplish yeah. it on this, but um, before I die. But what I love is it's, it's really like, as I get older, the thing that I realized too is my own shortcomings. And I don't even mean, well, sometimes it is just straight shortcomings, but also it's, if you want to be the best, it's something you have to focus. And if you, you focus, that means you're focusing at the expense of all these other things. And as I focus, my perspective can get a little narrow and I really want to keep a broad perspective. And I'm really, it takes more voices to get to the, to the, the true North, you know, cause you, you have your own biases. You're always tugging things in your own, a, a certain direction, mm -hmm. whether unconsciously or consciously. And so you actually want other people around that are like speaking into something and bringing different perspectives. And that's what gets me excited is when other people start doing what I'm talking about, I'm excited for them to take my ideas, yeah. use them, make them better, turn them into their own, and then tell me about it, I'm hoping, and yeah. be like, holy cow, never thought of that. That's right. brilliant. Um, or, or whatever it is. And that's how you actually start a movement, mm -hmm. um, I think. So, yeah. so that's why I get really excited about the content side. Yeah, well, it, it, you do a great job and you have a great following. And, um, you know, people are interested in that stuff too, right? Because, you know, it's everyone's interested in, everyone kind of has a Pinterest board about a house maybe somewhere, yeah. right? Or has phone, photos on their phone that on Instagram that they've saved most of mine are of kind of like uh, basement golf dens that I want to have one day in my house. It's like a dream kind of like yeah. garage conversion or whatever it is of like, a, you know, golf bay and hitting and, you know, some of them are home gyms, but others, you know, are like dream kitchens or dream you yeah. know, archways or whatever it is. Like we all kind of, 
constantly looking at something that yeah. you know that's why all these house shows on Netflix and you know YouTube do so well because we want to see that stuff right and yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see more content coming from you um, what's coming next year what are you excited about what, what's 2024 got in store for uh the tunnel family. But, uh, Obviously, I would a, say new, a new the, baby on the yeah, way. Right? Baby, baby, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, and I would say the biggest thing is this Townsend Development in Edmond because it's really my biggest, it's by far my biggest project to date where I've, you know, said so we've been running a design build company and what I've always wanted to do, especially, you know, if you think about, I came from a CPA financial background. So, you know, numbers make sense to me, right? So yeah. I've always kind of wanted to be in development. The reason being the developer controls everything. Yeah. They decide what happens. They, just, they they hire the architect and the architect will design something to what the developer says. And then it'll just get bid out to GCs and the cheapest GC gets chosen or maybe, you know, a, a slightly more expensive for better quality or something mm-hmm. like that. And I, you know, that, that I understand why that model exists. I totally do. It's not what I want to do. Yeah. We really want to be vertically integrated where we're, and if that means we're going to be smaller. So be it. You know, I don't, I don't need to run a billion dollar company or something like I, you know, if we can put great neighbors together. So for me, that's being able to develop, to buy land, raise money. So being a syndicator mm-hmm. and also designing it, doing the urban design, doing the architecture, doing the building and doing the interior design as yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, that is a, and then you start adding in some other things we want to do over time, mm-hmm. which I'll bring up later because yeah. we're years out on that. But so that's really what we're moving into here is the development and syndication. So I'm partnered with Matthew Myers, which is yeah. so perfect because well, one is just a, an amazing person. <clears throat> Um, and he really wants to teach other people. Like he's so humble and he just wants to see downtown Edmond flourish and people doing good work and he wants to help people do it. Um, and so we're partners, but he's really letting me take the reins a lot. So it's like, I get to go do this, mm. but I also have a partner who's watching my back, who's keeping me from stepping in the big puddles, but he's also letting me be uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. And he wants me to raise money. So I've been pitching and raising money and that's uncomfortable. Well, it's actually not that uncomfortable now because I've been doing it. Right. And I've gone to him a couple times. Back to hard things. It's yeah. too hard. I need to, well, you do the rest. And he's like, yeah. I'm not going to let you off that easy. No. Like literally that's what he said to me yeah. once. And I was like, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, because he could make three phone calls and you'd be yeah, set, yeah, right? Yeah, that's like, what he says. Like, we'll yeah. get a raise. Yeah. He's like, I can make a few phone calls and get a raise. I'm like, ah! Right. But he's so right. And what he yeah. said to me actually about it was like, he's like, I'm, I'm not worried about this project. I'm worried about you learning how to raise mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. He said, because it doesn't matter how wealthy anyone gets, they have to raise money. Elon Musk went out to raise money to buy Twitter, the, the richest man in the world, right? And, and so and I was like, that did click for me. It's like, no matter how, and you know, we're not like big successful right now. We're kind of really ground starting. Uh, but um, as I get successful, I want to have a network of investors and be able to do that and, and go pursue good projects together. So really, I want to connect great design with great building with mission-minded capital. And I say mission-minded because I want it. It's going to be profitable. I don't mean not profitable, but if you're solving for maximum profit, yeah, you can, you can squeak a few more percentage points out. You can, of course you can. If you're trying to do something good and profitable, it's yeah, you can make a little bit, little bit less money, but you'll still make money and you'll be proud of it. And you'll want to drive by it and it'll last beyond your lifetime. And you'll be able to drive your kids by and say, Hey, I was part of that. And that's one of the things we do even in this, our developments in this development is we're putting all the names of even the investors on like a literally sandblast in a stone. And we're putting that in there. And we, we already do that with Masons yeah. kind of like a cornerstone. And it's not like a gimmick to me of like, uh, give me your money and we'll do this kind of Pitch thing, it's it's you, real you get a brick. because yeah. the the capital is just as important as the bricks, yeah, or the designers, mm-hmm. and and we forget that I think today, 
just culturally because it's like we're it's so easy to hate on wealthy people and we forget and, and granted there's jerk wealthy people out there there's greedy wealthy people out there but there's a lot of really good ones too and just like everyone and and um and i think we need them if we want to do good work again we want to build great neighborhoods and great places for people i think we need that and, and so like i want to honor that you could say yeah um, have you been out to Matthew's neighborhood where he lives? Prairie, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that like would be, I guess, you know, a bunch of brick homes in there would be perfect, right? Yeah, um, doesn't have beautiful. to be on that scale, but you know, and you probably fit in more homes in that area. But I was out there the other day interviewing his neighbor, and um, it's just like this neighborhood's incredible. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like such a cool concept. Yeah, such a cool spot. Um, you know, just like love to be out there one day. Yeah. Um, but that's part of me that wants to be on a bit on a bit of land in the. Far right, further the country, into yeah, the country, yeah. right? Because I yeah. grew up like you know in a duplex and walking right. to the pub or walking to get milk or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, it's such a cool spot. Um, do you got anything else you want to talk about before we finish? I think, I think we hit everything, right? Yeah, no, I think that was a good, that was a good catch up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sick. Well, mate, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Love seeing what you do. Keep pumping out the content. <laughs> um, wishing you all the best with the new baby. Do we know the baby boy or girl? Yeah. We're not going to find out. You're so, not going to find out. Yeah, okay. We were surprised good by Amelia. It was so much fun. Yeah. Do you have a name yet? Nope. Okay. No, we need to figure actually, <laughs> thanks for the reminder. I just <laughs> jot that note down. When's the due date? <laughs> Sometime in March. Oh, okay. You got time. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck on that one. Uh, Wish you all the best and happy, healthy baby for you and uh, and your wife. And uh, yeah, for people listening, go follow Austin on Instagram. I will put his Instagram handles down below and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.